0: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios.
1: This is Troy Angel, and you are listening to Revived Thoughts. We have a very different episode for you than what we normally have. Uh, even before we started recording, Joel and I were trying to decide, is this a revived conversation? It's, it's not the same as most of our conversations. Those are usually tackling a broad topic, but it's also not a normal episode of Revived Thoughts where we go through the background of somebody and then we play a sermon. This is kind of just a fun Christmas episode. I recently did an interview with another podcast and they reached out to me and were like, hey, you do church history. Can you give us the backstory of St. Nicholas? Come on real quick. And i did and it was actually a lot of fun they were called the mad ones podcast it's very nice of them to have uh me on and i learned a ton about saint nicholas uh, somebody you may be familiar a little bit with and i decided i thought it'd be fun just for an episode of revive thoughts so that we just kind of go through his story and then kind of go through the story of how we went from saint nicholas this actual real human that lived to where we're at now today with Santa Claus, because there's just like a whole lot of interesting kind of bizarre history of how we got from point A to point B. But I think I think we can still learn. St. Nicholas, again, he was a real person. I think we can be edified by his story. And I think just the story of how he got so twisted and now how he's this completely different made-up person is also just kind of interesting too.
2: Yeah, and I think, so uh, dear listener, if you are listening to this, your ears are not deceiving you. My voice is like two octaves lower. I, I, I had some head cold over, over Thanksgiving and I lost my voice and it's now coming back, but I sound like a bassy robot. So, this is not something wrong with your <laughs> Joel, You sound
1: manly is what it is. You sound very manly. No doubt. I'm all for sure. I'm A sound more, a bit more manly. muscular Joel.
2: <laughs> Albeit slightly probably more disturbing, but um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know anything about sick Nick, other than Yes, St. Nick was a real guy. He left gifts, you know, on people's doorsteps, I think, something like that. But I know next to nothing about this. So I can help – I can be an audience surrogate and ask you questions. There you go. uh, This would have been a good one
1: to to man on the street with where we ask people what they know about St. Nicholas because I think – I think most people would agree with you. They kind of maybe know that maybe he gave some gifts, and then another famous moment of his as he slapped a heretic, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But those are kind of like the two sides of Saint Nicholas. But there actually is a really a whole lot more to his story. He's he he actually is a really cool guy. I did not go into this research project expecting to like walk away so impressed with Saint Nicholas, but I really was. I actually was really impressed by what I learned about him. So. Joel, okay. if you are ready, you can get a St. Nicholas uh, deep dive real quick.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let me let me take it away here. Well, first of all, how was your Thanksgiving, Troy?
1: It was okay. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Do, we, they, do
2: they don't they do do Thanksgiving in Cambodia. Not
1: even a little bit. Not even a little bit in Cambodia. So this no, is just not a, so a Fraser crazy.
2: tradition over there?
1: Yeah, we kind of went out to eat and took some friends out to eat, and it didn't turn out as great as we were hoping. And So it was a little bit of a bummer day, plus we had to work, so it did feel a little down. Um, But then another American saw us and we didn't even know there wasn't any other Americans in this city. And he paid for our meal before he like wandered off. He was there. He was actually eating a turkey. Um, So he had like prepared it at the restaurant we were at. He had prepared it beforehand to be like a real Thanksgiving meal. Um, But then as we got up to pay, he grabbed, you know, like we saw Elise getting ready to pay and paid for our meal. So that was really nice. We felt really grateful for that. So we were thankful for the Lord giving us a free Thanksgiving meal, um, which was probably, which was really nice. So, but okay. that was it. We took some friends out. It was pretty chill. So that that wasn't quite as festive as the usual Thanksgiving fair. That's awesome. What about My, for you? Other man. than being sick,
2: I, so I wasn't actually sick. Like during the Thanksgiving festivities, it was over the weekend that that I caught a cold. Some someone at Thanksgiving festivities gave me the cold, probably, and <laughs> uh, and subjected me to that. But. um No, wait, man. I made out. I feel. I feel bad now. I feel uh, bad telling you my Thanksgiving, based on no, (laughs) based on your man. I went to my family parents on uh, on Thursday. Oh no, sorry. The other. I went to the in laws on Thursday, and then I went to my family on Friday. And uh, took home leftovers from both, man. I'm still eating turkey sandwiches. It's it's living a <laughs> life. It's great.
1: That does sound really good. I will say, Joel. It. I've known you. I mean, I think it's fair to say. I think we've known each other for a decade, right? Yeah. Like I'm pretty it's sure. Been a decade. Yeah. So, been a decade. You're. I've never heard you sound like this. Like your voice is so. I am strange. creeping out
2: myself, honestly.
1: If, if you were to tell me that this was like a prank show and you actually had another guy in the room and the real Joel was sitting next to him, like cracking up, I would believe you because that's how different your voice sounds right now.
2: I feel like I sound like a, like a grumpy old lady. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) like, like that, that, uh, that mean old lady that's like, smoked way too much in our life that's, yes. <laughs> that's what i i feel I, like i almost
1: now. said that earlier when before yeah. the phone call i almost was like you do sound like you've hit the smokers a little too much there yeah. i didn't want to be mean it's
2: inaccurate. accurate but now that you
1: said it i'm glad it came out because it's true that's that's what you sound like so all right we should probably get to saint nicholas because i know you don't have saint a thing.
2: troy first of all tell me what era this is. what year is this because yeah. i don't even i mean i would if i'm gonna guess i'm gonna say like 1400s. Am I close?
1: You are actually, it's right around, uh, not even like slightly close. Dude. It <laughs> was. He was born in the year 270. I did see a couple wow. places say 280, but I think 270 is probably the more likely time he was born. So somewhere between 270 and 280, again, most likely 280. Uh, he lived in the Turkey, Middle Eastern Asia area, kind of that biblical region of the world. And the legend is that he Kind of gave away all his wealth. Now we're gonna get into it in a little bit and how he did that. But I did want to say just from the start though, when I saw that, that is such a common thing during that era of yeah. time. We have Basil doing that. We have Gregory of Nazianzus kind of doing that. We have Chrysostom living in a cave just to be close to the earth. And I just think there's something about how intensely these people believed in giving away their wealth mm-hmm. and living for God. Just, just completely on the lowest rung of society so they can be the closest they can to others and i think it's so easy for us to look at the story of jesus and the rich young ruler and we go oh you know he says give away all his wealth but he didn't really mean it right but i love that these guys go you know what he must mean it and they literally do it and i go man i I, I just think it's cool. I wonder if we've missed something where we kind of we look at those passages about giving away wealth and we assume, well, he doesn't mean don't be a good steward. Obviously, he wants me to be wealthy. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Chris Austin, Basil, and now St. Nicholas, they all really thought he meant give it away and live close to the earth. And they all came from well-off places. They you know squandered the family inheritance, but they didn't. They gave it to the poor and made them better. And we remember St. Nicholas today because of that. But Saint Nicholas, he actually has kind of a tragic backstory. You know, he's kind of a—if you're looking at your Marvel superhero kind of thing, this—he's got—he's got a tough backstory. Um, his parents also cared a lot for the poor. They were Christians. They wanted to love on the poor, and in the process of doing that, they both got sick with a terrible plague that had been going around at the time, and both of them died when St. Nicholas was pretty young, and I don't know how young. I don't know if he was 11 or 3, like it doesn't say how young, but he was still pretty young, and so he ended up growing up as an orphan, yet he so respected his parents' legacy. He so respected the, the what they had been doing and what he grew up about them, knowing about them, that he decided he too was going to dedicate himself to helping those who were sick and taking care of them, and he was known for having a really soft spot for them, probably because of somebody without parents, he knew hardship himself, he became a bishop at a fairly young age, which is what all the websites said. They all said, like, he became a bishop at a fairly young age. But do you know what the young age they considered a young age for being a bishop was, Joel? I'm
2: going to say 12?
1: Yeah, I know. See, that's when I think young, I thought, like, 12, 15. Let's see, Charles Spurgeon became a preacher at 17, like, started having church around. something in young, right? No, 30 is what they were all like. He's a young bishop at the age of 30. And I'm like, that seems pretty old. I mean, that's literally when Jesus started his ministry, right? Like, I, I don't want to, but I am 30. So, like, you know, to me, that feels like an old age. Like, we, we've come and we've come and arrived, if that makes sense at that point. But no, I saw multiple websites that were just like, he's very old, he's, thir- he's very young, he's a 30-year-old bishop. Here.
2: Now, answer this. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you here. So, we call him St. Nick. So, I'm assuming yeah. at some point he was given saint status from the catholic church
1: yeah so he does some. he does some funny um oh we're getting to those he does some miracles because if we remember we did an episode on saint augustine a while back Mm -hmm. and to be a saint you have to have something miraculous happen and in the case of saint uh, saint augustine it really seemed like they kind of just pulled one out of the hat at the very end of his life just to say and look he did a miracle so he can be a saint throughout his actual life is when some of these um quote-unquote stories start to happen. But I'm going to read them to you because they're interesting. We here at the uh, Revive Studios love saints and church history of the past, but we do not endorse every mythical story. But we will tell them to you because they're interesting and let you decide, you know, which ones you believe in. But we don't tend to believe um, most of the ones that come from these early Catholics, if that makes sense. They tend to be a little out there. You well, you know what? We'll just get to it and you'll see what I'm saying. So it was not legal to be a Christian in Rome when he was a Christian. And so in the year 303, again, he'd been, this probably be about 33 years old. He's been a bishop now for a few years, but that was a terrible year for Christian persecution. Emperor Diocletian is famous for being like the last really bad Roman emperor who persecuted the church, but also like the worst of them. And he threw a ton of people, a ton of Christians in jail, persecuted a ton of them. And old St. Nicholas, old Santa Claus is one of them. He gets thrown in jail. We don't know how long he's in jail, but it would have been anywhere from five to ten years. And the story goes that he spent a ton of it in solitary confinement. So the whole point was Emperor Diocletian is trying to get the Christians to give up on God, and St. Nicholas won't do it. So he holds on to the faith. So he might have spent as long as ten years in almost completely solitary confinement, uh, being challenged for his faith. So something you don't think about when you think of St. Nicholas is how that guy uh, spent a decade living for the Lord. But it might have been as short as five years. But I mean, still, that's a very long time. When Emperor Constantine came in, persecution was officially done. 313, you know, Christians are free to be legal in the States now. And he is let out. Now, one of the most famous stories I believe happens, we don't know when it happens, but I believe it happens after this. When he gets out of jail, he starts to go back to giving away his wealth and he finds out, this story is pretty much like, we're, we're pretty sure something like this happened. It may not be exactly as the story goes, but it's probably happened pretty close to it, where there was a rich man who lost his money and he was kind of poor now and he had three daughters. And in those days, you had to pay a dowry for your daughters to get married. And he did not have any money. And so it was looking like he was going to have to kind of push them off. They were either going to be slaves or something sad like that. And, you know, his daughters had grown up in wealth and luxury. They would have done poor as slaves. And he would do well as a slave, right? And so St. Nicholas heard about this. He knew this guy was too prideful to accept money straight up. But he knew also this guy was desperate to get his hands on a dowry. So St. Nicholas kind of comes to his house at night, takes out a gold coin or two, and throws it like through the roof of his house, into his house, and runs off. And the legend goes that it landed in a sock. You know, a sock, or a stocking, right? And you starting to see what's happening here. And so, we get a gold coin in the stocking. Well, he has enough money to pay for the first dowry. He's so excited, but the second daughter gets of age. She also needs a dowry. And Saint Nicholas kind of repeats, rents and repeats, throws the gold coin in, lands in a sock maybe. Bada bing! He, he runs off. The is he throwing this through like a window?
2: How's it? How's it? Getting
1: so in the story says he threw it through a chimney, but I don't think they had chimneys back then. Yeah. So I'm imagining like some slat in the you know hole in the roof. I don't know what the construction's I'm surprised like. They found the idea the is he's throwing it in. If, I, yeah, if someone threw a right. coin in my
2: sock, I, I mean, it wouldn't show up until I found well, it in the dryer. Well, you know, maybe what
1: he did was put the gold coin in the in the sock and use the sock like a slingshot to throw it in, right? Like, that would work. You'd kind of give the, it that weight and make it easier to I see. And
2: they probably didn't have as many socks back then.
1: Did they have socks? 200? <laughs> uh, stocking? Socks? Stocking. I mean, they maybe. They probably
2: had something. You got to keep the toes warm.
1: They did. You know what? They did, because actually the socks comes up again in a minute. So gotcha. they did have some kind of form of stocking or sock that, that was relevant to the story. Finally, this guy, by the way, he two daughters already, but he really wants to know who's been saving his daughter's lives. So he kind of tells everyone, hey, my third daughter's ready to be married, but I need money. But he's kind of on the alert this time, so he stays around his house. He's hoping to catch whoever it is, and lo and behold, maybe the sock and the coin, whatever it is, comes into the roof again, and he takes off running right out the house, runs as fast as he can. He sees somebody running in the dark away from the house. He runs up and grabs them. He's like... Hey, it's you. It's Nicholas. You're the guy. And Nicholas goes, I was just in the neighborhood. Unrelated. Takes off. And so he tells everyone it was St. Nicholas. Don't let him tell you otherwise. Of course, his name wasn't St. Nicholas yet. And so everyone loves this story. And Nicholas did lots of other generous gifts like that. But when people heard, this one, and they could tie it to him. They started to leave socks. So they did have some kind of stocking sock thing going on. They started to leave them outside their house. You know, people were like, hey, if you're going to throw money to him, maybe throw money my way. And the thing was, Nicholas did. He would drop little presents, a little bit of food, a little bit of money off at different people's houses in these stocks and the socks. And so people were so excited. They never knew what they were going to get. But something else happened too. A lot of people were too proud to accept help, but a lot of people wanted to help each other. And so when other people saw these socks open, they realized, hey, I can put some money in your sock and we can just say it was St. Nicholas, right? And you'll get some help that you need. I won't hurt your feelings. And, you know, we'll just all say it was St. Nicholas in the third. So people started doing that for each other. They started leaving presents, started putting things in each other's socks like that, and it became a big thing. But of course, because they were always saying, wow, it was St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas gets like this legendary status where he was somehow in the north of town dropping off gold coins but he was also in the east of town dropping off chicken legs but over in the west of town he had dropped off you know what i mean he somehow was able to be in all these places at the same time and so the legend of saint nicholas just kind of continued to grow and grow until he had almost this vibe where he could be anywhere at any time and eventually like i said he does end up giving away all his money doing this but a pretty cool story he has a big heart for the poor and a big heart for helping people and this became a huge kind of sign of how he like how he got associated with giving but also like he loved it he loved that people were being generous he loved that people were helping people this was to him a great thing and over time at some point i we'll get to it in a little bit people started to pr- you know ask him for things and that we'll get to that maybe in a little while but how he starts to get like the letters and stuff like that what, what so these are going pretty good
2: what town is this <sighs> Or what? What country is it in?
1: It's in Turkey, Asia. So it's in the Middle East. What we okay. consider Turkey. I want to say it's Smyrna, but gosh, I didn't. I didn't write this part down. If right. you ask me, when I, you know, I would remember. But I'm sorry. So if some some giant Saint Nicholas nerd writes in and is like, "Hey, dork! It wasn't Saint. It wasn't Smyrna. I'm sorry. I thought it was Smyrna, but I could be wrong." So thanks for, it, thanks for calling our
2: our Saint Nicholas enthusiast nerds.
1: Thanks for calling them enthusiasts. <laughs> 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 hey, I feel like a Saint Nick nerd right now, so that's why. All right. So the another famous story of Saint Nicholas is probably the most famous. If you've heard of if you've heard of Saint Nicholas you're, in any kind of like Christian circles, this is kind of what he's famous for. He gets called into the Council of Nicaea. This is a big deal. Arius is out there. He's a heretic. He's saying that Jesus is a created being, that he's not God eternal, a member of the Trinity, that there is no Trinity. Instead, that Jesus is the highest order of creation, the best of created beings, but he is a created being. So people get together. It's a big council. We need to decide what do we believe about Jesus and who God is. And Saint Nicholas is there. Now, it'd be cool to be like Saint Nicholas wrote the Nicene Creed, but Saint Nicholas was one of like 300 and something people that were there. So it's not like he was the only guy. But when Arius gets up to speak and starts giving his arguments from scripture of why he thinks Jesus was a created being, um, our, our friend, St. Nicholas, did not like what he was hearing, thought that God was being deeply insulted, and uh, just kind of gets up in the middle of it and just either slaps Arius across the face, Arius across the face, or punches him and knocks him out and you know knocks him to the ground so jolly old saint nicholas ho 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 slapping and taking down a heretic now some people think that's pretty funny you know taking down a heretic some people go how could he do this that's you know terrible but i i land more on that that's kind of funny but he got in trouble for it You're not allowed, you know, Christians aren't supposed to hit people for starters, but you're really not. Bishops are really supposed to never lay hands on each other. So, for a bishop to just slap another, you know, bishop, even this bishop was going to be labeled a heretic soon, you can't do that. He got sent to jail. So, this is the second time he got in jail in his life, although this one was more deserved than the first time.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat?
1: And he does. He, he realizes, you know what, he prays about it. God, I, I got angry, but I didn't I didn't act in a righteous way. Um, he starts repenting to God. He goes, you know what, God, I, I did the wrong thing. I should not have done that. That was not the way to behave. You know, I didn't glorify you. Even though I was righteously angry for you, I was not glorifying you. That didn't help. Well, you know, he realizes his mistake. And this is one of those miracles happens. Um, it's the middle of the night. He's praying. He's repenting. He's feeling bad. He looks over. And whoa, what's this? His chains have come off or they're just no longer on his arms. And what's that sitting over there in the corner? It says... It's his bishop's robe and his bishop's staff and his bishop hat all waiting for him, just right there folded and ready to go. So he goes over. It's like it must be a sign from God. He puts it all on. He's ready to go, and he's praying. And in the morning, the Roman guards show up, and they see him fully decked out, no longer in prisoner clothes, but fully ready to go for a council. They tell Constantine, Constantine, it must be a sign that God wants him back in here. And so they bring him back in. He sends the rest of the council. He's in the council. doesn't slap or hit anybody anymore. And that's one of his big miracles, you know. Look, I don't know. I wasn't there. It seems seems like a strange one, but that is that is how the story goes. If that makes sense, so you can choose how much of these miracle moments uh, you you want to believe in. Um, he liked to travel, though. He was a traveling guy, so he'd go all up and down the countryside, visiting different towns. Again, always trying to give up the give money to the poor. And he actually was on a boat a lot too. The Catholic Church eventually made him the patron saint of sea travel. But don't get too excited, because um, there's pretty much nothing that the Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church didn't make him the patron saint of. His list of patron saint things is uh, sea travel, orphans, um, which does sound nice, right? Pretty normal. Um, Also, pawn shops, merchants, okay? It's a little, all right, you know? Um, And then prostitutes and prisoners, too. So, like I said, they made him the patron saint of everybody. And he still has one more uh, miracle miracle to happen. Now, I'm going to tell you the miraculous version of this story, and then I'm going to tell you the what I think, the the what the actual, there is a, record, a recorded story with him, and you're going to probably see how the one just got corrupted into the other pretty quickly. But the story goes like this. St. Uh, Nicholas arrives in a town, um, and he's kind of sleeping, and he's in a nearby inn. And he gets a vision from God. And God says, you have to get out of this inn, get the townspeople, bring them back to this inn. You're staying in. This keeper is a murderer, and he's been killing people and putting them under the basement of this inn. And he goes, oh my goodness. So he runs over, gets the townspeople, they come back, they confront the inn, you know, the innkeeper. The innkeeper says, how would you know? I have three boys downstairs that I killed, and I put them in pickle jars, and I'm pickling them, or whatever you would call pickling back then. Pretty brutal story, right? And they go downstairs, and lo and behold, there the three kids are. And they've been killed, just as he said. And St. Nicholas throws himself on the ground and starts to pray. And the three kids come back to life. And they're back to life. Everything's normal. Everybody's healed. Everything's good. The story ends okay. Innkeeper goes to jail. Pretty intense story. Um, There's another version where it wasn't an innkeeper. It was a butcher. And it was like a butchery shop of some kind. But either way, the story is that there's somebody killing three people. And St. Nicholas, through a vision from God or a dream from God, is able to save them. However, there is a real story that's actually associated with Saint Nicholas that I think is probably this story just corrupted and turned into something kind of silly. But I don't know why it was, because the actual story is actually pretty cool. There are three men that were put on death row for execution all of a sudden in town, and they are what and they are just basically decided out of the blue these three people need to be killed for a crime the crime's not really described what it is and as the executioner goes up with a sword getting ready to slap it down saint nicholas runs up grabs the sword throws it out of his hand and goes no like we're not going to kill these men you haven't said what their crime is there's been no proof of a trial like this is wrong we're not doing this we're not joining you no And the town doesn't know what to do. Their bishop and this, you know, the executioner and this public nobleman kind of get into a spat. The bishop being St. Nicholas. And eventually they kind of call it off and they don't know what to do. And the next day, this man runs up to St. Nicholas. He's like, I couldn't sleep. I can't eat. You know, it was me. I'm the one. I'm the one who caused these three men to die. I bribed an official. They were business partners of mine. Things went south. And so I bribed an official to kill them off. And I thought it was a good idea, but when he stopped it, I realized I had lost my mind. I was doing something horribly evil. You stopped me from committing a terrible sin, and those three men would have died if it hadn't been for you. And so St. Nicholas gives them some repentance jobs. He has to confess. Everyone, you know, boo on him, but he, he gets right with God, and the three men's lives are saved. And I think that's a pretty cool story without the story. miraculous, you know, moment. I think it's pretty courageous of somebody to run up and stop an executioner, point blank anyway. I don't know why we needed to necessarily make it all exciting and add other stuff to it. But, you know, they got to make him a saint somehow. So anyway, let's move quickly. You know, it
2: is 1800 years old.
1: You just. It is. Stuff stuff gets. Got to add some pickling (laughs) to (laughs) the story after a while. You got to spice it up. If anything, one, I, one thing I do appreciate is about stories like this, though, is you can really see how legitimate a lot of other stories we cover on our show are by how magical and mythical some of these stories around St. Nicholas are. Like, you can compare and contrast this to, like, our episode on uh, Gregory of Nazianzus. So and you're like, well, those two, that one seems pretty tame compared to what St. Nicholas has going on. <laughs> the final miracle associated with him is that when he died, magical mana oozed out of his body to heal people in the village. And, I mean, they really wanted him to be a saint. So, there's the end of Nicholas the magical man who had a ton of stories added to his life this guy who was the patron saint of i don't know like a thousand things oh the town was not smyrna it was myra i did write it down in my notes so he's a big deal now i want to we don't have a ton of time so stay close with us audience we're going to kind of build off of how did we go from this guy saint nicholas to a guy riding in a sleigh with flying reindeer because there is a story of how we got from point a to point b too
2: i will say right off the bat though there are far more similarities between what you just said and modern day santa claus that i did not realize were there
1: there are so for example let's start with the stockings thing so people originally putting out their stockings right look waiting for a present at night and eventually people go he's a patron saint right so you start praying to him god can you give me you know sorry god like i say would pray to santa i don't know so they're praying can you give me this present and let me just skip you know the saint the sock thing right and then eventually Somehow that translates into let's skip over the praying and let's just write him letters and put it in the sock and then you know eventually those letters are heading to the North Pole. But that's how we get to the the whole idea of writing letters. It was the Catholics who were praying to him and then again eventually those prayers turned into written things. Now, he was a pretty big deal. People liked him all across the empire, but Myra was really where he was based and located. But as the Catholics kind of started to celebrate more and get into more feasts, they actually gave him a festival day. All the saints got to have a day. And that was December 6th, where not December 25th, mind you, December 6th, where you were supposed to maybe give a neighbor a present or do something nice for him the night before and he'd wake up and he'd have something. Now, this, by the way, speaking of magical things, his bones are also magical. In the 1200s, some pirates raided the town of Myra and stole a good chunk of his bones. But what I really liked about this story was in the next year, they came back and got the rest of his bones. So they brought him back to Italy. They've, people liked his bones. So They're like, well, let's go get the rest of them, which I just think is funny that they just came back. and were like, we, we actually do need the rest of his body. We said we'd let you have some, but sorry. People back in Italy really love this thing. And so they go back, so his bones are spread out throughout Europe. That kind of helps build to the legend of who he is. You know, when patron saints have bones there, then you can pray directly to them, right? So that kind of, voila, it makes it more exciting. Also, as the Catholic Church is going into more pagan territories, this story of St. Nicholas was really affected by the character Odin. Odin has this big, long, white beard. He's this old man. He moves through the night, and he gives presents. And it's around the same time of year as christmas time and so if you're a pagan and you're kind of like looking to kind of incorporate some of their stories saint nicholas fits really well with you but you don't want to lose odin either and so they created this blend of a character called father christmas because you know he's kind of Christmas time, he's given presents. Saint Nicholas does the same thing, very similar. But Odin's original name was All Father, so clearly that you know if you've ever watched Thor, they call him the All Father. So it, clearly they're trying to keep what they had before. Father Christmas is literally just like a Thorized pagan version of. Uh, St. Nicholas. But that does help build the legend because now you have people all over Europe celebrating. You also have these nuns in the Middle Ages in France who they want to take St. Nicholas's festival day, the feast day, seriously. And so on. they start to this tradition in France and it kind of goes all over where they will bring food to people on December 5th, leave them a whole bunch of food out the night before and the night when they and they wake up in the morning, oh my gosh, there's an entire deer or whatever waiting for them from these nuns. And this kind of catches on. People really like this idea of anonymous Giving. And so that's another way it spread. And you may be noticing, like, these are unconnected stories. That's because honestly, a lot of the spread of St. Nicholas is unconnected. Like one thing happens over here, something else happens over here, and it all boils into the same stew, but they're just random things happening all over. During the Renaissance, people were kind of moving back into pagan celebrations, and there was one called Saturnalia, and people would stop for a week and throw a wild party around Christmas time again, and instead of saying and they would say to each other, low, 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 Saturnalia. And eventually that kind of got morphed into ho ho ho. So instead of low, 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 ho ho ho. Anyway, so they're just these little things that keep getting added to the pie. But America did not like Christmas. The Puritans. Don't want some weird festival with an Odin-like God guy coming around going low, low, low Saturnalia. Like, they don't want any of this going on. This is a Catholic thing. This is a pagan thing. This is a Renaissance thing. Like, they hate it, basically. So, when they come to America in the early days, like, Christmas is not, like, a super holiday they like. Thanksgiving. Go celebrate Thanksgiving. Like, they're bigger fans of Thanksgiving. They don't mind Christmas. Obviously, they enjoy the birth of Christ, but they don't love all this other stuff. The St. Nicholas guy, I mean, he's literally a saint. We could do without. Him right, and so it kind of takes a while for Christmas to kind of settle into America. Now it's there. There are newspapers in the very early 1800s of merchants taking out like Christmas Day sales in newspapers. So like it is a real holiday. But the Saint Nicholas side wasn't coming over to America. They didn't really know what to do with him until the early 1800s poetry. You know, we mentioned on our episode of Cotton Mather that during that time in the early 1800s, the New Englanders were trying to move away from Puritanism. And one of the things they did was they started to like make all the bad things that happened in Puritanism about the Salem witch trials. Well, something else they were starting to do was kind of bringing over European ideas, but trying to make them something new, right? And so this poem went out called The Children's Friend. And it talked about a man named Santa Claus, which is very similar to the Dutch word Sinterklaas. And by the way, The Dutch have a version of Santa Claus. The Germans have a weirder version of Santa Claus. There's like a version, I want to say in Romania, where it's like an old woman on a broom who drops off gifts. So like there's so many, like they've gotten to so many interesting places over there in Europe at this point. But the Dutch have this version called Claus which is where we get the word Santa Claus. And he would come into town and drop an orange off in your stocking. And that was a huge treat. And he would drop off three of them, three oranges, and it was supposed to represent the three gold coins of St. Nicholas. And getting an orange in the middle of winter in Holland or the Netherlands, I mean, that's a huge rare treat. And so that's actually where we get the idea of um, dropping off stuff in your stockings. It's also where we got the golden chocolate coins. You know that really bad candy? That's like a chocolate coin that's gold wrapped. That's not good. That also... Not good. And the only nice part of it is, is that it looks like a gold coin until you actually try to eat it. But that candy actually comes from that. Speaking of candy, the candy cane also comes from Santa Claus. It's supposed to be like his shepherd's cane that he carried. Um, anyway, so a whole lot of stuff. Or like maybe the bishop's cane. Anyway, a lot of candy was affected by Santa Claus. And this story of the children's from this poem he run, he flies around with reindeer, but he has no religion. Santa Claus. In this poem, you know, Santa Claus here, this guy is not a saint. He's just Santa Claus. He's not a Catholic. He's he's just having a good time with flying reindeer and presents. And people love him. They're like, hey, we can get behind this guy. I don't want some Saint Nicholas Catholic, but I can get behind Santa Claus because this guy is religiously unaffiliated. He just happens to show up on Christmas. You know, he's just a good Christian, basically. The next year, another poem, an anonymous poem comes out called The Visit of St. Nicholas, but we call it Twas the Night Before Christmas. And that poem really cements the idea that there's going to be a red guy on your roof dropping off presents with flying reindeer. And that's about 200 years ago. So, I mean, that's when America really started to embrace the idea of a Santa Claus. Now, at this point, um, Santa Claus has eight reindeer in the sleigh. That's two poems that kind of officially made him an eight reindeer kind of guy. In the 1930s, Robert May uh, wrote and added the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which you've probably heard, probably seen the old movie from. But what I found out when doing research on St. Nicholas here that I thought was really interesting, he wrote the story of Rudolph because he was given a job, like basically his bo- he was a writer, like a, like a copywriter, like like just kind of, you know, he was at a publishing house where like they crank out books all day long. And his boss comes up and goes, hey, we need a holiday kid story, make one stat, basically, and walked away. And he was like, okay, well, let's write a story about a Rudolph, and it was kind of a cool idea, it has a kid, boom, bam, Rudolph ray nose Reindeer, we got a story, go. And he throws it out, and it goes on the shelves, and everyone loves it, it becomes a huge hit, obviously songs and movies and everything else. But I just love that it was some guy working a nine to five, you know, running, trying to write something probably for the weekend. Uh, just a corporate job is how we created like one of the big stories of Christmas. Like, I don't know. It just made me laugh. It. It's like, it wasn't some special thing from his heart that he worked on his whole life. It was just, um, you know, got to get this done before five because I'm heading to the lake house with the kids or something. So anyway, uh, in the 1800s, there were some cartoonists, they started drawing pictures. The original Santa Claus is kind of creepy looking, he's short and elf-like, he's nothing like what we have, but the guy who, not Thomas Nast is a cartoonist, who started to make him. he started with the elf, and they just kind of making him fatter and fatter until he had jolly old St. Nicholas. Um, by the mid-1800s, shop owners started to do these big Christmas sales, like I said, and uh, one of them, in 1841, put up a statue of St. Nicholas and said, you know, in his newspaper, it was like, Come shop at my store and your kids can see St. Nicholas. Well, families came from everywhere to see that statue of St. Nicholas. And so then, you know, the next year, more stores started putting out statues of St. Nicholas. And eventually some of them were like, well, we have St. Nicholas impersonators And you can see where we're going with this. Right. And then eventually we have Santa Claus workshop and then come get a photo with your kids. Boom, bam. Capitalism brings you the store. You know, that's why people go to the stores to take those pictures and shop. It's because of this one Philadelphia shop owner who wanted just a little bit of a leg up on the people around him. And then finally, probably the final nail in like the Santa Claus is going to be everywhere was the Salvation Army raising money around Christmas time. They told all their people to dress up like Santa Clauses, And at that point, it was pretty much a thing. Santa Claus is all red. He rings jingle bells. He does the poem and that's, he's officially in like the consciousness forever. Now there was a thing on the internet that went around. It was kind of more prevalent 10 years ago. But the idea was that Coca-Cola created the idea picture of St. Nicholas. It's a cool kind of fun idea. I think it would be kind of neat if, you know, we were controlled by... Coca-Cola and our image of Saint Nicholas, but this is not likely true. The Santa Claus Coca-Cola campaign didn't start until the 1930s. Now they did a really big campaign to sell Coca-Cola in Christmas because I don't know if you know this, but people weren't buying Coca-Cola when it was cold out back then. We doesn't stop us now, but back then people couldn't didn't drink cold drinks when it was cold. They, dropped, they drank cold drinks here in the summer. In fact, Coca-Cola was invented to be a summer drink because people didn't know what to drink during the summer anyway so now they're trying to sell it so they got santa claus pictures everywhere of him drinking a coca-cola it was a nice coincidence that santa claus wore bright red and coca-cola is bright red but the idea that coca-cola created this image of santa it just doesn't play out the image was already pretty set in stone by the late 1800s so those are pretty much all your santa claus facts that's how we went from a guy who punched a heretic and was helping the poor to this other guy who's drinking Coca-Cola and is in your store so your kids can shop. Pretty much, in fact, we almost did the exact opposite. We took him to the exact opposite place of where he started, which was give your money to the poor, uh, enjoy him while you shop. <laughs> so, you right. Know. Yeah.
2: That, man, that is all your party facts for December are all right there. <laughs> Anytime you're at a party talking about Christmas, you got ammunition now to bust out a uh, fact of the show uh have your pick there's so many good ones yep. there i thought it was interesting how quickly the world adopted the values of saint nick you know in europe there like how how long would you say it was before the rest of the world was like hey i'm going to take these things that i like about saint nick and uh make them you know it, it seems it seems so much like the world is wanting to to take the good things they like from Christianity while uh, separating themselves from it and isolating themselves from it so they don't have to, you know, acknowledge it um when would you say Santa Claus.
1: if you show kids pictures i mean i think mickey mouse maybe beat santa claus but like santa claus is one of the most recognizable thing worldwide doesn't matter if you're in africa you know the middle east you don't have to celebrate christmas but you see a picture of santa and you show it to a kid almost in every culture around the world and they know who that is but do they know its associations with Christmas? Do they have any idea why they why people in the West celebrate this family? I mean, I live in Cambodia. It's something we have to deal with right now. We're going through the Christmas story in our chapel, and we're having to show them, like, you know, Christmas is more than just Santa Claus and presents and stuff like that. Like, that's just kind of a sideshow to what Christmas is really supposed to be about. And so it is kind of crazy to me how, how much like the world took this idea? Took parts of what we like about Christmas, but just kept twisting it and twisting it. And, and I'm like a super Santa hater. I don't personally do Santa with my kids. But like when I see a Santa, I'm like, hey, kids, look at Santa. Um, but I kind of was one of those guys who's like, I want the credit for the presents, so I don't really <laughs> have Santa show up presents. But my kids still think Santa's fun and will, you know, go, hey, look, it's Christmas, kind of thing when we see him. So. Like, I'm not, like a, I'm not one of those Satan Claws kind of guys. I don't necessarily see it like that. But I will say, after doing this, I really enjoy the original St. Nicholas. This guy who had a lot of money, but just kept finding unique and fun ways to give it away so that he could show the love of Christ. I'm like, that to me, I wish we could get that spirit back. I wish Christmas in our minds was like a time to really just go above and beyond and give to others. Because I think that's the real, you know, I won't say the real message, but that really was the real message of St. Nicholas
2: awesome and it, hey if you're feeling festive if you're in the the december <laughs> christmas spirit um we got some merch we got some shirts and mugs we do. and stickers Troy, do you want to tell them about it?
1: I love that you use merch. Like, merch is the old man. We got some swag you can check out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, speaking of using Santa Claus to sell, apparently Teespring, which is our store where we sell our shirts, has a sale. So if you're listening to this in real time, December 2nd, you can listen to this episode and go check out our store, and everything is 15% off. They take, like, all the taxes and fees away, so go enjoy that. And if you're not listening to this, You know, live the day it aired, go check out our store anyway. We do have one Christmas shirt. It's about Boniface. It's his logging company because if you remember the story of Boniface, he chopped down a tree that the pagans were worshiping. It was Thor's tree. And when he knocks it down, um, apparently that's where we get the idea of Christmas trees from. So we've covered a lot of Christmas, uh, fun facts for you throughout our show. It was covered on Martyr Missionaries. It's covered on Revive Thoughts in our episode on Boniface. So we decided to make a shirt out of it. So go check out our store, buy a Boniface Logging Company, um, Christmas sale shirt that we have for you or one of our other items. Uh, so yeah, if you go to Teespring the day that this came out, the day it's live, uh, it's Holiday 15. You get 15 percent off. But if you don't, go check it out anywhere. Our stuff isn't super expensive. Um, we 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 yeah, we're not like trying to you know have like the richest store on earth. Just a fun one. But we do have, and this is the tagline I came up, Jill. So get ready to cringe. This Late is the tagline me. here. We do have the best merchandise store in church history. I love it. I put it on Twitter and I was like, I like that. So anyway, go check out our store. Enjoy it. We appreciate you for listening. I know this is a super different episode of Revive Thoughts. Not quite a conversation, not quite a Revive Thoughts, but we hope you enjoy it early in the Christmas season. And now you have all your St. Nicholas facts for your office or church parties ready to go. And I just want to
2: reiterate again that that you've use promo code HOLIDAY15, HOLIDAY15, uh, and it's only good for today because after that, that still goes away, but still uh, in December uh, check it out. We can't guarantee that it'll get there by Christmas. We don't know, but um, by all but means. But we can't guarantee oh, it won't It's either, true. So you never know.
1: <laughs> I mean.
2: we'll, uh, we'll make sure right. to put a link for the merch store in the description of this episode so you can follow that.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this episode encourages you and also taught you a lot of interesting facts. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts.